Thank you for joining us on the Crossroads Church Podcast. We are so excited to have you as part of our family. We're a community where people are welcomed home, built up, and sent out. Our prayer is for you to find meaningful relationship and belonging with both God and His people. We'd love to connect with you. Download the Crossroads Church app, follow us on Facebook or Instagram, or simply send us an email at info at mycrossroads.co. We pray that as you hear this message, you encounter Jesus and all that he has in store for you. Hello, Crossroads Church family. I hope everybody's doing okay. I hope everybody's hanging in there despite all the weird and crazy stuff that's going on. Uh, Obviously, I am still under quarantine, so I invite you back into our family to to, to record this from, uh, from our living room. And uh, I thought I'd start with a little bit of, uh, of fun. I like the story about the, the pastor and the priest who are standing by the side of the road with a big sign that says, the end is near, turn around before it's too late. Well, a guy came careening by in his car and they screamed out the window, leave us alone, you nuts. Well, the, as the guys were listening, they, they heard a, a screeching of tires as the man rounded the corner and then a, then a big splash. But the, the priest looked at the pastor and said, do you think we should just have a sign that says bridge out? Right now, the, it may feel like the, the bridge is out. Uh, and, but I want you to know that the world's not coming to an end. God still has us in his hands. God still is taking care of us. God's still, still looking after us. And, uh, and I thank God that we still we have this technology that we can be together even though we're apart. You know, I want us uh, to, to take a look today at, uh, at something that happened a couple thousand years ago. I want to take us back to a garden in, uh, in the Middle East. And if we were to, 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 to see something, what we would see is we'd see a, a 33-year-old man who was, who was wrestling and struggling, and his, 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 his robe would be absolutely soaked. If you could, could hear something, what you would be hearing is snoring, And you'd also hear this young man crying out to his heavenly father, welcome to Gethsemane. You know, the Garden of Gethsemane is still there. I've I've been there three times and and it's an amazing place. And there's still all the, uh, a lot of trees and a couple of those trees are still original. They've been there for, for the people say over 3000 years, which means that some of those trees actually saw Jesus in this garden. I remember touching one of those trees, the oldest of those trees, and one person looked at me and said, behold, the only living witness to the Christ. And that was kind of, uh, kind of a powerful moment. And there's a, there's a Catholic church that's on the, the ground right now, and uh, it's supposed to cover the, the outcropping of some rocks where Jesus was supposed to be actually on his knees crying out to, to the Father. And, and as I've knelt there and as I've prayed, it's just a powerful time of realizing what Jesus must have gone through that, uh, that day. And as we uh, begin to celebrate uh, Holy Week next week, I think we need to go back to the garden because uh, Jesus was crushed in the garden. And sometimes there's some crushing aspects to life that we go through as, uh, as well. The word Gethsemane uh, means it's, it's uh, a Hebrew word for olive press. And, and the word Goth means, uh, means crushing. And Semene means, uh, means oil. So it literally means the cra- place of crushing of the, of the oil. And there was an olive press back there in those, in those days. And olives went through three different crushings in order to make olive oil. I don't know if you knew that, but the, the first crushing 
uh, would take place, and that was the that was the the most pure. In fact, for those of you that do cooking, if you ever wondered what uh, virgin olive oil was, that's from the first crushing. And what would happen with that first crushing, with the oil from that first crushing, is is that was given to first fruits to the to the temple because the temple was still around when when Jesus was in the garden at that uh, at that time and. And it was used for for the the lighting of the menorah, the lighting of the the candles and and things in the in the temple. That's what the first fruits were used for. The second crushing was used for medicine. It was used for cosmetic, and it was used for food. The third crushing, what it was used for, was for other lamps and and just normal lamps, and also for the for the use of soap. But what would happen is by the end of the third crushing, is the olive would be would be indistinguishable. It would be such a, a smash. It would be so 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 destroyed that it you, you couldn't even see what it once what it once was. And understand something that Jesus went through three different crushings in the garden, as as well as three different times he went to the the uh, to his his friends who were asleep and were were leaving him there. But three times he went through that crushing. And if you ever were to ask how much olive oil costs. Uh, and if I ask you that question, a lot of you could give me an answer, and you could give me a dollar and cents, especially if you do a lot of cooking. But, but maybe we shouldn't ask the question of how much it costs to the consumer. Maybe we should ask the question of how much it costs to the olive itself, because the olive paid everything for this. The olive was crushed for the oil. You know, I think it's really appropriate where Jesus went through his time of crushing, the place where he went through the time of crushing, it wasn't near the, the Sea of Galilee with the palm trees and the, and the birds flying around and everything. It wasn't even in the temple where, where there was holy things going on and, and everything. It was, it was in the middle of where things were normally crushed that Jesus went through the biggest crushing of his, uh, of his life to, to, to this point. And Jesus was fully God and fully human, but this is one of the times that we see him at his, at his humanness at his most human that he's going through, an incredible, incredible struggle. Some facts about the, the garden. First of all, the garden is, it's lonely in the garden. You know, Jesus had rock star status. There were so many times he had, he had thousands of people that would follow him. When we would go into a building, it would be standing room only. There would be people on the outside waiting to, to press in and to see Jesus, that, that he would have to go out onto a boat in order to be able to, to speak so the press of the crowd wasn't against him. There was one time that he had over 5,000 men, probably between fifteen and 20,000 people that, that went out to be with him in the, uh, in the wilderness. I mean, there was always this, this crowd around him, but that's not our story today. Our story today, we don't know where, where the 5,000 are, where the, all those people are. All we have is we have 11 men, and, uh, and 10 of them are snoring. And there was another man that was going to come, but he was coming only to betray the one that, uh, that, that we were talking about. And I want to know, where is everybody here? Where's his, his closest friends? Where's the people that he helped out? Where's the woman with the issue of blood now? Where's, the, where's blind Bartimaeus? Where's Zacchaeus now? Where is, where's Jairus and his daughter who he raised from the dead? Where's the centurion, his servant? Where's the, where are the lepers? Where are those 10 lepers? Where's anybody? Where are the people that he set free? Where are the people that he healed? Where are the people? Where's Mary, Martha, and Lazarus now? They're nowhere to be found. 
They're nowhere to be found. He is alone in this, uh, in this garden. Something else is it's excruciating in the garden as well. You know, one of the things that, that hit me the most is when I was uh, kneeling in the garden, as I looked up and I saw, you could see the Temple Mount from, from where Jesus was, would have been kneeling. And I thought, man, if he ever played the man, it was that moment. If there was ever a time I respected Jesus the most, it was that moment right there because I, I thought, what would it have been like to be him and to realize what he was going to go through within the next few hours? Because Jesus knew his life was about to come to an end. And not just come to any end, but the most excruciating end imaginable. He was going to be tortured. He was going to, to, to be mocked. And then he was going to face a crucifixion, which was the, the, the most devious, painful death that, uh, that humans have ever come up with. And, and not only that, but he knew that he would be carrying the whole weight of the, the world on his shoulders at that time. Here's what the Bible describes. Mark says this, he took Peter, James, and John along with him, and he began to be deeply distressed and troubled. The word, therefore, distressed means to be utterly astonished and to be deeply afraid. The word troubled means to be weighed down with heaviness. Matthew's version of the same thing says, Jesus said, my soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. Stay here and watch and keep watch with me. The word overwhelmed with sorrow, it means to literally be have your soul surrounded with grief and sorrow. It means to have grief all around. And if you've ever felt that way, if you've ever been so overwhelmed that it just feels like sorrow was, was overwhelming you and surrounding you and there was no way to look, nowhere to go except for, uh, for sorrow, you understand what Jesus was going through there. Luke said this, that he was in anguish. And the, ang the actual word there for, for anguish is the word agonia, and it's where we get the word agony from. I mean, Jesus was going through all those things. Jesus, let that soak in a moment. Jesus, fully human, was distressed. He was deeply afraid. He was utterly astonished. He was overwhelmed with sorrow. He was in agony. He was surrounded with grief, and he felt the weight of the, of the world on him. And no wonder he threw himself at the, to the ground at that, uh, at that time. And I want you to hear Jesus' prayer, but I'm only going to say half of it right now. I'll say the other half in a little while, but here was Jesus' prayer. Father, if there is any way that I don't have to drink this cup, please don't have me drink this cup. Father, if there's a plan B, please let's go with plan B. And you can understand that cry. You can understand his uh, his his prayer at that time, he is absolutely, completely overwhelmed. It is lonely in the garden. It is excruciating in the garden. One thing I love about that fact, though, is this, that Jesus going through all that emotional garbage can, can empathize with it when we go through emotional garbage as well. Now, there's a big difference between sympathy and empathy. What's the difference? Sympathy is something you can relate to just because you've been a, you're a human being and you can relate to what those emotions may feel like. Empathy is when you've gone through that and you know exactly what that feels like. Uh, if you've ever been through something, a hard time, and somebody well-meaning comes up to you and says, I know how you feel, and you know they mean well, you know they care, they're saying that because they care, but you know they've never been through what you've been through, Part of you wants to say, look, I really appreciate it and I know you care and I know you're reaching out to me, but, but you don't know what I feel like because you haven't been through what I've been through. 
But if that person has been through what you've been through, maybe they've been through a divorce and you've been through a divorce. Maybe they've lost a, a child and you've lost a child. Maybe they've lost a parent or a sibling and, and you have too. Maybe you've lost your job and, and they've lost their job. And, and there's a camaraderie. Now you know they really do. They understand, they fully understand what you're going through because they've been through it too. Something that I love about God is when we come to our Heavenly Father and we say, I'm hurting, he goes, I know exactly what that feels like. If we say, I'm lonely, he goes, I know exactly what that feels like. If we say, right now, I'm confused, he knows that we know exactly, he knows exactly what that feels like. If he knows, if we say, you know, it's just a really dark night right now and a really tough time in my life, he goes, I know what that feels like. No matter what we go through, no matter what we go through, Jesus Christ has already gone through to the uttermost so he can say, I know how you're feeling and I can help you out. In the midst of that. I think there's two other things that made the garden especially excruciating. And one was the non-help of his friends. I mean, there's only one time we really have record of Jesus saying, guys, I need your help. Guys, will you stand by me? Will you pray with me as I'm going through this tough time? Will you be beside me as I'm doing this? And they're nowhere to be found. They're asleep when they should be praying. They're, 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 they're snoring when they should be, should be standing by Jesus. But then Jesus now, he goes from there, he goes to, to his heavenly father and there's the silence of his heavenly father as, as well. I mean, think about that. Jesus Christ is crying out to his heavenly father. We know what Jesus says because we have record of it. But here's what we have record of the father saying to the son at that time. Nothing. Heaven is remaining silent. You know what? You don't have to tell me what to do when, when, when God answers my prayers. You know, when the, when the check comes through, when the person is healed, when the situation is changed, when everything's transformed, I know to praise God there. I know to thank God there. What's really tough for me and maybe probably for you too is what happens when it seems like heaven is silent. When we cry out to God and we don't hear anything and, and God doesn't answer our prayers the, the way we're hoping that he's, that he's going to answer our prayers, or at least in the timing or the situation that we, we think he's going to answer our prayers uh, in. And, you know, right after Easter, we're going to continue and we're going to finish the, the message on, uh, on prayer. And we're going to talk about how to pray with power. It's going to be life-changing. But something we're going to take a look at of that after that for a, a week or two is just what happens when God doesn't answer prayers the way we're hoping to? Or when God says no? Because isn't that one of the biggest things we struggle with as, as human beings and especially as believers in a mighty God and a strong God and, who, and a God who does answer prayers? So here, this is what's going on with, with, with Jesus. He goes to his disciples and he, he finds them asleep. So then he goes back over here to his heavenly father and he has, and he has him silent. And he goes back over here and there's, there's more snoring and there's more silence over here. And he's just being squeezed between a rock and a hard place. Here's something that Jesus is battling in the garden. Jesus is battling submission. Uh, the cross was Jesus' greatest moments. It's where we have uh, salvation, where we were able to, to have salvation for our sins because what he did on the cross. But make no mistake, the cross started in the garden because it was him saying, yes, Father, I will do whatever you say, that that paved the way for the cross later on that, uh, that, that day. And I want you to see, Jesus is struggling with submission here. 
It's the only thing we ever find Jesus struggling with at all. Jesus didn't struggle to walk on water. Jesus didn't struggle to heal the sick. Jesus didn't, didn't struggle to, to, to turn water into wine. He didn't struggle to set people free from demons. He didn't struggle to, do, to, to, to calm a storm. He didn't struggle to do any of those things. But we see Jesus struggling not once, not twice, but three times. Three times is a lot of prayer for Jesus Christ. It's the only time we have record of him praying three times for anything because he's struggling with the same thing you and I struggle with, and that's saying, God, Father, have, my, have your perfect will in my, in my life. To me, there were two main defining moments in Jesus' life. The first one was in the wilderness where he had been tempted by the devil for 40 days, and it was basically, who are you going to bow your knee to? You're going to bow your knee to the devil. You're going to bow your knee to, to, to your heavenly father. But then this is the second one right here is the defining moment in the, in the garden where he has a choice of saying, all right, whose will is going to be done? Whose will am I really going to go after? My will be done or your will be done, heavenly father. You know, John's gospel starts with these words in the beginning. What other book started with those words in the beginning? It's the book of Genesis, Right. And it too started in a, a garden. And in that garden, it was Adam and Eve, they had the choice, basically the same choice. Who are they going to serve? Who are they going to bow their knee to? Is it going to be your will be done, God, or is it going to be our will be done? And really, they blew it. If you took down their, the temptation and everything, it came down to this. Father, not your will be done, but our will be done. And then Jesus came along and changed everything. He reversed that curse and he came along and said, not my will be done, Heavenly Father, but your will be, be done. And really, we have that same choice in life, don't we? We have the same choice. It comes down to, first of all, who are we going to bow our knee to? Because we're going to serve somebody. It's like the song says, we may serve uh, the, the devil and we may serve the Lord, but you got to serve somebody. But every day of our life, too, we come to the decision of, of whose will is going to be done in our life. Every time we, have, we battle temptation, it's really a point of, God, your will be done or my will be done. Every time we have a choice to either forgive somebody or not forgive somebody, it's either, Father, your will be done or my will be done. Every time we have a chance to, to serve, to get involved in, in service and mission, it's either my will be done or your will be, be done. Every time we have a choice to honor our parents, it's either my will be done or your will be done. Every time we have a choice to, to either use our, our mouth to, to bless or to, to curse, it's either, God, your will be done or my will be, be done. And really, that's what tithing is, too. I mean, that's why tithing, I think, is so important is, is because God tells us that we're to honor him with the first fruits of everything that we have, with the first 10% of all we have. And that means every paycheck, we have a, a choice to either say, God, your will be done or my will be, be done. And here's the choice that I really hope. I hope that we, we come in every day that we make that decision of a prayer of going, God, your will be done, that we live that out every day of our life. Life is going to press around us. Life is going to be a struggle. Life is going to be that garden and that, and that pressing. How are we going to respond to it? How are we going to respond? I love you. God bless you. And I hope you have an amazing, amazing day. Thanks again for listening to the Crossroads Podcast. Check back with us weekly to hear more messages. We hope you have a blessed day.